Hey, Ryan, Nate, it's Andrew. I have some thoughts on The Big Lebowski. This movie was formative for me and my movie-enjoying experience. I'm pretty certain, Nate, we watched this a lot in college. I loved it. I loved the comedy in it. Uh, all the things that were supposed to be funny landed. All the things that were supposed to be weird landed. Uh, I cannot be more excited for this episode, guys. Uh, really looking forward to the deep dive in why this is probably the most popular and populist uh, of the Cohen Brother movies. Why does this land? I don't know the answer, but I love it, and I'm looking forward to this episode. Talk to you soon, guys. Peace. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. We're glad to welcome back our good friend Tim Yoder to talk about one of our favorite movies, The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, so we thought we'd take some time to talk about the movie and the phenomenon it's become. While there probably won't be much to dispute for us, we wanted to dig into what it is about this movie that makes it so special. Upon its release, The Big Lebowski was not well received. Following Fargo, many critics didn't know what to make of it. Audiences seemed even less able to make heads or tails of it, and the movie only made $17 million. Over time, however, The Big Lebowski has become one of the biggest cult hits of the last few decades, spawning annual conventions and even a quasi-religion. Despite its slow start, The Big Lebowski has become a part of the cultural fabric with its iconic images and perfectly quotable dialogue. But does a cult following mean any of us really get what's going on here? I mean, there's a lot of factors here, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. Or is it very undue of us to even care about getting it? Keep listening. Now, this here story I'm about to unfold took place back in the early 90s, just about the time of our conflict with Saddam and the Iraqis. I only mention it because sometimes there's a man, I won't say a hero, because what's a hero? But sometimes there's a man, and I'm talking about the dude here. Sometimes there's a man, well, He's the man for his time and place. He fits right in there. And that's the dude in Los Angeles. And even if he's a lazy man, and the dude was most certainly that, quite possibly the laziest in Los Angeles County, which would place him high in the running for laziest worldwide. But sometimes there's a man, sometimes, there's a man. Ah, lost my train of thought here. But, ah, hell, I done introduced him enough. That is the, the stranger, as he's credited, offering the, the opening narration. I would say, I, I mean, the word gets thrown around a lot, but I would say at this point, iconic. 
Yeah. Opening opening narration. Yeah. I mean, if only because Sam Elliott is so right. iconic. Yes. And he's really Got doing doing him. Yeah. 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 It's weird because in a way it sets the tone for the movie, even though the movie doesn't really follow that exact tone. No, it doesn't. You know what I mean? Because I think the fact that he's fumbling to find his words is exactly (laughs) the best way to introduce this movie Mm -hmm. is losing losing your train of thought. Right. Um, (laughs) And so that's why we thought we would let it set the scene for our podcast, really. It does the trick for the movie and it does the trick for the podcast, hopefully. But like we said in the intro, we've got our good friend Tim Yoder back with us. Mm -hmm. for the first time since Ghostbusters, right? Which was we were talking not not the, not last summer, but the summer before. Wow! So a long wow. time ago. Yeah. Too long. Sorry Way about that. Way too Tim. long. That's, yeah. that's on us. But welcome back. Thanks yeah. for having me back. I'm really glad to be with you. And if people want to go way back uh, to like early, can we mm. still be friends? You were mm-hmm. also on our uh, pulp. Or it was a Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino uh, back compendium. Before, yeah. Back before <laughs> at least two of us had kids, and we could devote that kind of time to watching. Yeah. Can you imagine if we, instead of doing Big Lebowski, if we're like, we're just going to do an episode on the Coen brothers. (laughs) I mean, what was wrong with us? Yeah. Let's just cover it. We can cover it in an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fact that this is our second Coen brothers movie, this may be a little selfish, this episode, because we love the Coen brothers. Mm -hmm. We love the Big Lebowski. And so just decided to indulge ourselves a little bit and... And it's not like talk there's not about. more to talk about. Right. You know, we did Barton Fink and I, we covered a lot, but mm-hmm. I mean, Big Lebowski just being a very different movie, we're yeah. going to have, we're going to talk about a lot of other aspects of Coen Brothers, mm-hmm. I think, in this that we didn't even get to in mm-hmm. Barton Fink. So I'm pretty jazzed about it. Yeah. And I think this is probably the first time we're doing a movie where all three of us have seen it a lot. Yes. That it's been yeah. a re- on regular rotation, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's any movie I can name since I was a child that I've seen more times. Than oh, really? This movie. Wow. Do you guys remember your first viewings? Can we even talk about this? I do. Oh. Maybe Tim. Do you want to go first? Maybe though. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was uh, my friend Mark Masterson, who may or may not have found this podcast by now. <laughs> uh, was very insistent that I watch it with him. Uh, we were at Trinity, a fairly conservative Christian college. The college that we all went to. And we all met. And we all know Mark Masterson, too. And yeah. So that doesn't surprise me that he yeah. would be one to introduce a movie like The Big Lebowski. He's a great dude. Yeah. He was very insistent. I, was, I wasn't I was sure. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it until we were halfway through the, the movie. But, you know, once I once I saw it, I I was absolutely hooked and watched it a number of times. But like I said, conservative environments. It was it was kind of funny how divided the atmosphere was between people who were shocked and appalled by the language in the movie. And, and then the people who actually knew people who talked like that and didn't notice it. Yeah. So you were with a group. It wasn't just you and Mark that were watching it or how many? Well, the first yeah. time, but first you know, time, yeah. it's it's one of those oh, I the see. communal college living. You, you've got movies that just kind of run on rotation. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. the one that I'd always go to. Mm. I mean, and it fit with the sort of thing, the sorts of things that I would watch with Mark, you know, things that were more absurd, things that were often humorous, often a little bit more avant-garde than the normal summer blockbuster stuff. That's that's the sort of thing that you want to be exposed to in college, the things that you you might not have seen before that Mm -hmm. you might Mm -hmm. have to reach for. And, but this is a comedy first and foremost, and Mm -hmm. it's got a lot, a lot of depth to it. But it's just amazing how it also works as a straight up stoner comedy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not it's not like you have to follow everything that it has to offer to enjoy it. And I think that's something really strong about this movie that mm-hmm. lots of people like it for lots of reasons. And I don't think there's any 
bad reason to like mm-hmm. the movie. Well, we'll probably get into that. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> if, however, however elitist I'm feeling. Yeah. That'll dictate. That there's no, <laughs> there's no reason to not like the movie or? No, bad way to like it. Oh, bad way to like it. Okay. Yeah. yeah we should get to it. Why not? Nah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and I think that elitism is a good segue into my first viewing, which was just really completely uninformed uh, snobbery at the time. I was actually, I was in high school the first time I saw it. It was my friend Jason who showed it to me. He loved it and was like, oh, you've, you've got to see it, you know. And uh, I didn't get it at all. And I was like, when is this going to end? Did you at least, really? did you think it was funny at all? I, I Sometimes. Okay. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what was going on. I know I had seen Fargo. I knew I was like way into like serious movies, mm-hmm. you know, like I think I had even seen Blood Simple. So let me, let me ask like, you this. Because you had seen those movies... Were you taking that into account when you watched Big Lebowski? Like, were you kind of? Oh, I'm sure were, I was. Were you framing it in regards to Fargo? I'm sure and, I was. I'm sure simple. I was. Yeah, but I also probably didn't get it and was feeling like it's the movie's fault. Sure. Um, yeah. So honestly, the first time I saw it, I was not impressed, and I didn't really like it. I wasn't looking for the humor. If I had been looking for the humor, I maybe would have gotten that. But I was kind of looking for like the. What's the meaning cinematic of it? All? Of yeah. it cinematicness oh, sure. yeah. of it. And it's got so many references, really. If you're looking for it through that lens and you're uninformed, it's gonna seem just a mess. And then it was a few years because I was always like, I don't I didn't like that movie. But everybody was I, I kept reading things and talking to people who I knew had similar tastes. I was finally like, Well, I should probably watch it again. And that like I was like, How did I not like this after I watched it again? Because from then on, it's been uh, just a movie that's like pure joy to watch, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like when I first saw it, I was definitely in a strong phase of liking movies that were weird for weird sake. Yeah. I mean, I love David Lynch. I love <laughs> Terry Gilliam, Brazil, 12 Monkeys, that sort of thing. And so to me, having a movie that's just like, we are going to make this as, as absurd and nonlinear as possible I think there was sort of that reverse elitism of, I think other sure. people find this off-putting, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to like it. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. Especially in college. There's Especially a lot of in sure. college. <laughs> That's why I would say the first time I watched Gus Van Sant's Jerry, I liked it because I was watching it with a person who absolutely hated it. And I was <laughs> it, like, it felt good to like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Nate, your first time watching it, you so my first time watching it was also in college, um, Trinity, where we all went, and I I don't remember what made us watch it, other than I remember that my roommate uh, Andrew, who calls in all the time, and he had a lot of movies that he owned that I had never seen, and so oftentimes when I just had time to kill, um, I would just pick a movie out of there that I had never seen to watch, and. Um, I watched it with uh, two other guys who also had never seen The Big Lebowski. So we were all three of us watching it, Mm. just basically going off of knowing that a lot of people like this. Let's give it a shot. We didn't. We didn't know a single thing about what it was about. I just saw the cover, which you know we've had. We had the older DVD, which is just Walter and the dude just kind of standing there, Mm -hmm. schlubby looking. You know. Yep. The other thing is just running through their filmography. I don't think I had even seen a Coen Brothers movie up until then. Mm. I may have seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But if so, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that I really thought of it at the time like as a Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyways, um, we pop it in, and you, you can imagine three people who have never seen this before. We're just all kind of like, 
we were laughing. We thought it was really funny. But the whole time we're like, what is going on with this movie? And then I just remember personally thinking, I don't really know what's going on with this movie, but I, I genuinely don't care. I'm having so much fun. It just seemed like it just kept getting a little wackier and wackier. And I was just totally on board with it the entire time. And then mm-hmm. it ended and we were all kind of sitting there like, well, what was that about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my friends was a philosophy major and um, he's like, I think that was a nihilistic movie about nihilism. I remember <laughs> is what he said. And I, you know, maybe we could talk about, I mean, my, my interpretation of that isn't quite that, but right. I think that's a fair one to it's make on a first point. viewing. Yeah, yeah. It's an entry on a first viewing, I think that's very fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just kind of where we left it. But I remember liking it so much that I just kept wanting to watch it. And, yeah. you know, I kept, it didn't even matter where it was at in the movie. Like if I saw someone watching it in the middle, I'd sit down and watch the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've probably watched it at least every year, usually more than that. Yeah. And over time, because of that, because as you said, Tim, you know, this is a movie that aside from movies in my childhood, I can't name another movie that I've watched with that much regularity and always enjoyed. So when I'm forced to answer, what's your favorite movie? I always say The Big Lebowski, mostly for that reason. Yeah. Um, And we kind of previewed that in the last episode about how I feel about that. But um, that's my first viewing. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying I, as far as like wanting to watch it. I may not think about it when I'm not watching it, but if I do ever find myself watching it, I'm just like overwhelmed with the feeling of, I'm really glad I'm watching this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a very communal movie too. It's sure. like, like we talked about it. You know, I think there's a reason Nate asked, who were you with when you saw it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big part of the background. Mm-hmm. You get different things out of the movie when you watch it with different people and not in a cerebral, well, we're going to discuss it afterwards, but just feeding off of listening when someone else laughs, seeing what stands out for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing, nothing that can make parts of this movie funnier than hearing someone laugh at something that you didn't normally laugh at. I think, I think one time we watched it at your house, Tim, Mm -hmm. in your basement, and that's probably my favorite viewing of that movie. You know, because it's different watching it with someone who's watching it for the first time, too, because... They're feeling it out. It's a really yeah. jarring experience to watch this movie for the first time, because you don't know what to expect. The, the way people talk about it is not the movie that you see, really. When you have to see this movie, there's kind of like an understanding of what that means, and usually it means, like, there's a level of universality to it. And this movie is not very universal in the first viewing. Mm-hmm. It's just a really strange experience. So that was one of the first times I'd watched it. Everybody in the room had seen it. And we were all just like enjoying what we enjoyed about the movie. So uh, that, that communal aspect, it makes sense that it has become this movie that people rally around. Conventions and uh, a philosophy, if not like, you know, they'll call it a religion. It's probably a little over the top. But um, what you get that a lot of the the characteristics of what people look to get out of religion sure. <laughs> you can find in the big lebowski yeah. that communal aspect to mm-hmm. it a sort of common the script being kind of like your scriptures you can quote lines back and forth <laughs> with each other you know you can sort of live by some of the the edicts right, yeah. yeah the characters are so well drawn out and so different from each other that you can kind of find a a proxy and in, in, yeah. in, of an idea in all sorts of them you know well mm-hmm. and there's there's almost something in the uh, well, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't qualify it as almost. There is something about community in this movie itself, sure. in that you know, first of all, you you've got a bowling alley, just like your classic 
third place. It's not work. It's not your family. Yeah. And the funny thing is we got these characters who the dude doesn't obviously work and obviously doesn't have a family. Well, he says he's unemployed. Yeah. He says he's unemployed. And you know, Wal- Walter, yeah. Walter has a storefront. We see very briefly subject security. Yeah. But his work is not important. He's divorced. You see these people, their, their whole social life is built around this bowling alley, mm-hmm. which yeah. even at the time, you know, even as at the very shallow, like five year prior period piece setting we have bowling was well out. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a big thing right. in 92 ish. Yeah. But we're, we're watching these people who are very unlikely communities, yeah. very unlikely friends, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and it's clear that they don't have a whole lot in common, but they do have a sort of tie that's really inexplicable. Right. And I think, I think there's something to the fact that people bond Absolutely. over this movie. When, yeah. You know, this movie is enough to have in common. I mean, not to get too deep too early, but I think Walter has, uh, Walter's almost clinging to community that he's lost having formerly been military where he had some brotherhood and Judaism formerly, yeah. and and he seems to be Jewish in Shabbos ob- observation only, right. <laughs> not not like necessarily in in any congregation, mm-hmm. and he, it's certainly a connection that he lost. Mm-hmm. It reminds him of a connection he lost, um, which is again probably going way too deep with the movie that doesn't necessarily need. But I think it's it's a testament to its brilliance is that there are those things just kind of implicit in the characters Mm -hmm. yeah um and so then pulling a gun at a bowling alley shows not just not that walter's unstable but how much support he gets from that bowling community (laughs) and how any 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 uh you know, threat to the order of that is something he's going to take as seriously as when he was at war. Dog has fucking papers over the line. Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. Bullshit. Market eight, dude. Uh, excuse me. Market zero. Next frame. Bullshit, Walter. Market eight, dude. Smokey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. It's just. Hey, man, it's Smokey. So his toe slipped over a little. You know, it's just a game, man. This is a league game. This determines who enters the next round robin. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't... Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't over. Give me the marker, dude. I'm marking an eight. Smokey, my friend. You're entering a world of pain. Walter, man. You mark that frame an eight, you're entering a world of pain. I'm not... A world of pain. Look, dude, I... This is your partner. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Mark at zero. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep going with that idea of religion, I mean, this is your zealot. This is the guy who cannot take when someone bends the rules a yeah. little bit. You're, you're a fundamentalist. You know, take your pick. A bowling sure. fundamentalist, I guess. But yeah. um, <laughs> what's mine is mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so I know we're gonna we'll definitely get deeper. Yeah, and we, but yeah. I do want to kind of just stick to our format and let's talk about this viewing sure, experience and, sure. and, and just, was it the same? Uh, you know, and if it was, I mean, uh, first of all, I'm guessing prior to this out of a five star rating system, are we all kind of sticking with a five star or maybe, yeah, maybe not? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, mean, yeah. Re rewatching this movie is barely even yeah. rewatching. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't want to sound too religious and I don't mean like the rite of passage, but this is real. It's not rewatching. It's just confirmation. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
It's just checking in, really, with the movie again. It's not yeah. at all. It's barely. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's how, it's, how it's long getting... since your last viewing, myself? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I genuinely didn't mean confirmation as like religious confirmation. It's just like I, I meant it as like checking in. It's getting yeah. coffee with this movie again. Right, it's right. just like. How yeah, was I mean, it, it well, was it was watching the Big Lebowski. What well, do I need to say about well, it? Well, and to be honest, I mean, you know, I do watch movies a little differently, knowing if we're going to record our podcast. I don't always sit there with a notebook. Yeah, and I've never course. sat with a notebook watching Big Lebowski. I never felt the need to. Right. Um, so this is my first time, and I was kind of like, you know, does it pass that test? So are we? Are we kind of the movie didn't diminish at all this time around? I guess is really the only way it can go <laughs> from the way we're talking yeah. about it. You know. Which I don't think means I didn't watch it with an open mind or anything. It, it was the same movie. I remembered it being. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and, and so, I mean, again, if we're going to follow a format, but I, I, that being said, I don't feel like we really need to just say like, well, what would you like about it? Because right. of course, like we, it's, it's what everybody likes about it, maybe. But I, I, I think we should at least kind of, for the sake of the movie, give some time to that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe what things have you traditionally liked about it? Are there things about it? As time has gone on that you've appreciated more or watching it this time, you, you noticed and appreciated more? So to me, the the biggest thing that stands out, I, I think, is just the texture of it. The sheer number of wasted detail. There's just an astonishing number of things that are thrown into this movie just to add color to it, yes. not to advance the plot, not even necessarily to give a laugh. Like one one instance of this that really stood out to me this time I think my favorite background character is Liam. Liam mm. is the Jesus bowling partner. Mm. The main <laughs> that's one. Just, yeah, that's a real and deep cut. Like every time the Jesus is getting aggressive, Liam kind of half-heartedly acts like he's going to restrain him, but doesn't physically touch him. But I think my favorite detail <laughs> Which of course you is wouldn't with the sex, sex the, offender. The, the Jesus yeah. is also he's wearing these flamboyant body suits mm-hmm. and Liam is super clean cut and kind of little tubby, but he's always wearing a polo that matches the Jesus <laughs> outfit. <laughs> so funny. Perfectly. And, and it's, it's not like, Oh, he's wearing red and red. It's like, no, he's the wearing plum shade. and plum. Yeah. He's wearing like peacock te- teal yeah. and peacock teal. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Well, and, and, What's interesting to me is, in you saying that, is maybe this time around, after doing a little bit of research beforehand, like reading a lot about the making of, is just mm-hmm. getting to understand that obsessive nature of the Coen yes. brothers. And when that's applied to comedy, how that works in those subtle kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a book I read that's just the making of The Big Lebowski. And there was an interview with the costume designer. Her name's Mary Zofres, I think. Z-O-P-H-R-E-S. I don't know how to pronounce it. We don't know how to pronounce names on this podcast, No, by the way. we're terrible. <laughs> Anyways, um, just how many ideas the Coen brothers already had to her, but then what she was able to bring to it really because the Coen brothers in their obsessiveness had drawn these characters out to their finest detail of like who they are. She was able to actually in her mind, build these backstories Mm. that would really just inform the costumes and that's it. And the way that she came to the conclusion that like the dude would wear these jelly sandals, you know, and she had a whole thing about the history of like where the jelly sandals were popular and why they were popular like five years before he was wearing them, you know, like (laughs) now, which, which which, is like, you know, and everything he's wearing, they had to age to look like he had owned it for about 10 years. But Um, I think, 
I think I'm remembering this right. Those were Jeff Bridges' jelly were. sandals. They were. Yes, they were. Um, but he didn't want to keep wearing them. And she kept saying, no, that's actually perfect. Because um, she was imagining a flip-flop originally. Um, but that the jellies actually just seem more perfect yep, when, he, when Jeff Bridges true, brought them out. <laughs> true, but even with um, the Jesus character, and his, the Coen brothers had the idea of that really nasty plum suit that was their idea suit, yeah but like she added on like that that shot of like those nasty nylon socks that he's kind of yeah, pulling up you uh-huh. know like it's the it's those details right. that they're very specific i think to like the coen brothers style like you, you're saying you know with the matching outfit between they've them. always yeah they've always done that in all of their movies even the most minor character what surrounds them is just so fully realized yeah. and that's part of the value in rewatching. Movies that are crafted as well as like Coen Brothers movies or P.T. Anderson movies or just those those directors that just mm-hmm. have such a, an exhaustive attention to detail yeah. is that the more you watch it, the more you see, rather than something like a, a very good comedy like Anchorman or um, 40-Year-Old Virgin or something, there's a limit to watching those. Yeah. Where the, the, the freshness of the jokes and the, the layers of the jokes even wear out. But with the Coen brothers, with this movie, your eye can start wandering. On, on 15th viewing, you can say, I'm just going to focus on yeah. this background character. And it's going to be really rewarding. This time, um, and the last couple times I've watched it, I've really just paid attention to Philip Seymour Hoffman. There are some obvious brilliant moments I like the scene where uh, the dude meets Bunny mm-hmm. and his performance as Brant is perfect. You're not Our guest has to be getting along, Mrs. Lebowski. Oh, you're Bunny. I'll suck your cock for a thousand dollars. Wonderful woman. We're all we're all very fond of her. Very free spirited. Brant can't watch though, or he has to pay a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> That's marvelous. <laughs> but this time I noticed his performance in the limo. <laughs> he couldn't get far enough inside his shirt and he couldn't push far enough back into the seat. Like, it's just such a good physical performance that's pretty subtle and doesn't need to be there because it's not the main mm-hmm. action of the scene. Mm-hmm. He could just sit normally, but like, there's that detail. And it's another thing that I feel like I notice more every time I watch it is just their ability with casting and their ability to pull people who are so good, Peter Stormare, Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore, these people who are such good actors, they could all helm their own movie. And not putting them in supporting roles just because you want to fill out your roster or whatever, but making them do the heavy lifting of acting as a supporting character. Mm -hmm. Even smaller characters that maybe don't do a lot of heavy lifting, but they're almost like, it's just their look is perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I'm thinking of like Smokey. Yes. You know, like, you know, he doesn't, and I don't think he's real, I think he's a musician. I don't even think he's an actor um, in real life. Uh, That's Jimmy Dale Gilmore is his name. Um, I don't think he's really been anything. I think he's just a musician, but he's just got that perfect, like, bowler bowler former hippie Mm -hmm. (laughs) now bowler kind of look you know yeah and and this very soft looking so when he pulls a gun on this guy it's just like that's perfect casting because you 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 genuinely see the absurdity in this because of it being pulled on smoky and that's where that's where this this movie is a cut above just a comedy because 
the lines, the action, that's all funny. But that depth of why it's funny, because it's happening to Smokey. <laughs> and that the, that the guy's name is Smokey. Yeah. And that the guy's so like, he's so proud of that eight, too. <laughs> right. It's so well-crafted. Yeah. Comparing it to other comedies, it's really hard to find a peer for it in that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of bad language in it, of course. But that never drives the joke. Uh, and, you know, there's sex in the movie, but it's not a dirty joke movie. It's certainly no American Pie. It's right. it's it's almost Monty Python-like, actually, in, mm-hmm. in several levels, just crafting a situation and then dialogue within it and characters either being aware or unaware, oblivious, driving, mm-hmm. resisting. Mm-hmm. Like that's where most of the humor is in this movie. And I, I mean, there's only so much you can talk about what makes a thing funny, but I think it's worth pointing out. It's, it's not the same thing that makes a lot of American comedies yeah. funny. Yeah. And I think that there is something to the comparison between that and Monty Python, given the quotability mm-hmm. and the communities that come around it. Yeah. So I mean I I don't I feel like we don't need to talk about the lines that are of course funny. Obviously mm-hmm. you're not a golfer and yeah. you know really tie the room together. We don't need to go stuff. we don't need to turn this into a quote episode. Right. Yeah. And so I wasn't focusing on this but this time around I feel like there were lines that made me laugh that I hadn't even noticed before. One of them was um <laughs> How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Carl Hungus? <laughs> One that I, I, I hadn't re- remembered before. But it's just so funny because how are you going to keep them down on the farm was, uh, I think, a World War One era song or a World War Two era song about, uh, you know, like losing kind of like the home uh, community <laughs> of, you know, America, like uh-huh. kind of the heart of America after, kinda, after yeah. all this stuff has happened. <laughs> And one that the dude is quoting that song, and then he turns it into a quote about like this ridiculous porn actor's name, <laughs> is really funny to me. And then another one that I, I just hadn't uh, hadn't caught is when uh, uh, the dude is kind of questioning Walter's oh, devotion to Judaism. Here we are. It's Shabbos, Shabbos, the Sabbath, which I'm allowed to break only if it's a matter of life or death. Will you come off it, Walter? You're not even fucking Jewish, man. What the fuck are you talking Man, about? You're fucking Polish Catholic. What the fuck are you talking about? I converted when I married Cynthia. Yeah, Come on, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and, know this. Yeah, and five fucking years ago, you were divorced. So what do you say? When you get divorced, you turn in your library card, you get a new license, you stop being Jewish? This is the drama. Jewish is fucking tub, you know, it's, Again, it's just funny, but it's also like... You picked the most commercialized version of Judaism <laughs> to like identify <laughs> yourself as Jewish. <laughs> so it's like another way that Walter is filled out as a character because he's really not that, that, that doesn't Jewish. Quite get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I think is great characterization in the dude's lines that's subtle is we, we we see the dude just kind of drift from one situation to another. Yeah. One of the things that really illustrates this is how the dude will pick up a phrase that yes. someone says in one yes. scene mm-hmm. and then use it again two or three scenes later. So yep. Walter talks about a line in the sand, and the dude talks about it when he's talking to the big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. You know, Maud says, the trophy wife in the parlance of our time. Yeah, and he and, says that exact thing. Right? And he says, in the parlance of our time. Oh, like, just him seeing on TV George movie. Bush saying, yeah. this aggression will not stand. Well, yeah. and the one I noticed for the first time is that after the nihilists break in and threaten him, when they're going to Larry Sellers, yeah. his one 
attempt at being intimidating is we're we're gonna cut your dick off, Larry. <laughs> well, there's that one when they're when they're trying to intimidate Larry Sellers, but also, and this is where it gets, I feel like, a little bit more thematically significant. He kicks down the door and says, "Where's the fucking money, Lebowski?" Uh- <laughs> to the big Lebowski. Oh yeah. Um, and so this time I was paying a lot more attention to repeated lines mm-hmm. and ways that he kind of tries to keep up with the environment he's in by quoting environments he's in before. And this might be getting too deep into like the, you know, deeper thoughts about the movie, but I feel like as he tried to float through life and it stopped working out and he started entering into life, he became, that sort of threatening presence that he didn't like at the beginning of the movie. So that by the end of the movie, he's the one kicking in the doors. He's hmm. the one saying, where's the fucking money? He's the one he threatening the one people. Knocks. He's the one that <laughs> knocks, right. But he's the, one, he's the one who's breaking into people's homes and threatening them. And and the fact, I mean, I feel like it was a really pointed, pointed shot where, um, again, very funny scene where Walter tries to make the big Lebowski stand. He's face down on a rug. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly yeah. where, like, Jeff, the dude, starts the movie. Uh-huh. And and I think you see the dude sort of like, geez, what just happened? And it's kind of that moment where he, he realizes, but they don't lean too heavily on it, mm-hmm. where he's just like, this isn't fun. I don't like doing this. Yeah. Well, and then it comes to a, a, a big conclusion, too, at the end, where he says to, to the bartender right in front of Sam Elliott, the stranger, yes, he yes. says, sometimes you eat the bar. Yeah, thanks, man. Oh, sorry to hear about Donnie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes, uh, you know. Hey, man. How'd he do, dude? I wonder if I'd see you again. I wouldn't miss the semis. How oh, things yeah. been going? Oh, well, you know, strikes and gutters, ups and downs. Sure, I've got you. Hey, yeah. But that's one of the first times that his quoting of somebody else doesn't finish. It's just really fascinating to me that it was the person he was quoting who interrupted him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's it's just in the writing itself, like that example of just how always calling back to other things and just that those little nuggets that you can get by watching this movie over and over again. Well, I think that idea of calling back is prevalent in the the movie making itself. I mean, the Washington Post did uh, an article where they um, quoted critics who had panned the movie and then they had a quote from them like today but people people talked a lot about the the, the plot being really confusing or non-existent um it being kind of like a frenetic style that just flips back and forth and some people saw that as being really kind of like show-offy or like cocky on the coen brothers part but i i haven't fully formed my idea about what the significance is but i mean i was trying to count the genres that oh, I yeah. see happening in this movie. And stoner comedy we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Film noir, of course. Mm-hmm. Detective, like, you know, kind of uh, Humphrey Bogart, like Philip Marlowe, detective story, that right. private eye sort of story. You do uh, have that Busby, Busby Berkeley, Berkeley sequence in there. You've got the avant-garde art film mm-hmm. sequence. You've got... Um, like a Western, if you... Western, absolutely. And, yeah. You've got stylized 19... 19- 40s high drama like especially in that that fireplace scene where mm. where the big lebowski sort of like do my tears surprise you sir <laughs> and the music in that scene is very much of that mm. era and even maud in her scene um where she shows him uh log jam and is is along those lines that sort of like kind of highborn woman 
um, the way she talks, uh, certainly in her her whatever mm-hmm. effect she's putting on her voice, you mm-hmm. know, right? Um, that, that's it, coming yes, from almost like, like a, a Catherine, Catherine Hepburn, Hepburn kind of exactly. Feel. Yeah, that's what, and so you've got this movie that is all these movies. That's this sort of pastiche of this golden era of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like European avant-garde, like strange sort of movies and American stoner comedies. And the only thing connecting them is that the dude keeps wandering into this, into the, into that type mm-hmm. of movie. It's this sort of quilt of influences that come together in the strangest way, mm-hmm. as well as making a quilt of itself by having characters quote things that other characters have said. And it calls back to my mind the the opening monologue by the stranger as he's trying to describe the dude. Sometimes there's a man. And it's just like, what if we just placed a man in the middle of this type of movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes and there's a man. He keeps repeating it over and over again. You're just kind of like he's almost there's a man. Yeah, in the real of his mind, he's like thinking about what that man looks like in each of these movies. Yeah, yeah. and it's funny that he calls him a man for his time and place mm-hmm. because constantly throughout the movie, the dude is a man out of time and place. Like he's he doesn't fit in a Busby Berkeley movie, and he doesn't fit in the uh, sort of Orson Welles movie. But and there's a ton of humor in that. But there's also sort of this like exploration of the underlying philosophies of each of those. Mm, the manhood in each one of those. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's like he's limber. He keeps his mind limber with, you know, a healthy drug regimen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there is something to no, that. I think like, there is, yeah. yeah. Like w- one thing I was thinking about is like you, if you use the, the noir genre as kind of your key for the whole thing, that, that the whole arc is following this noir. And I think that is the intent. Yes. I, yeah. I th- yeah. I think they said as much. That, you know, your your common noir character is this hard-bitten, world-weary, acidic person. Yeah. And the reason that this person survives being blown across the, this plot where, you know, frequently the noir protagonist is out of control of his own fate, usually locked up, beaten up harassed by both the police and mm-hmm. the villains and mm-hmm. and a, the the sort of masculinity the sort of maturity that that brings this person through mm-hmm. is that they're tougher than that they're yep. more cynical you can only more, push them so far right. before and, and and then they're and and the dude it's the opposite he's open to things yep. people are are going to be themselves in a really weird way and he's just going to go with it mm-hmm. right down to he seems to take a blow, a physical, physical abuse, not so much by being really in good shape for, for it, but by being a bit soft and pudgy <laughs> and just kind of yielding. Super loose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and the Coen brothers have even said this. I think it's, it's not a direct influence, but the closest cousin to this movie would be Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye, mm-hmm. which is based on a Raymond Chandler book. Mm-hmm. And I, I finally caught up with that movie as a, mm-hmm. as a prep for this. And, I wish I would have seen it a lot earlier because I realize it's really now good. it's really good, first of all, but I also realize now a lot of where the way the dude responds mm-hmm. is coming from. Foods, hey, uh, excuse me, I don't see any curry brand cat food. So what? Curry brand cat food. Hey, it happens to be the only kind of food. Yeah, curry brand. C O U R. Oh, we're all of that. Curry Why brand. Don't you get this, mister. All this shit is the same anyway. Oh, yeah, you don't happen to have a cat by any chance. What do I need a cat for? I got a girl. Ha uh-huh. ha. He's got a girl and I got a cat. There's a long 
Elliot Gould's character in that movie is very similar. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's also someone who's just getting it from both sides. The police hate mm-hmm. him. The you know he's got all these people after him. He's kind of drifting along. He's also kind of a loser. Mm-hmm. But he also just has always the right thing to say. And yep. the, I guess I understand now why people see kind of a Zen thing in the dude. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's so much that that's what the movie's really going for. I think it's more just this idea of someone who can neutralize every situation just by kind of being chill. And and I guess. In a way, that's another brilliance of the movie is what if we took that neo-noir, mm-hmm. Elliot Gould, long goodbye character, and what what if what made him so chill and relaxed was just that he was kind of a stoner Stoned dude. Over time, yeah. <laughs> and then we also... Very little direction right. or uh, passion. Right. <laughs> He he definitely fits the the Sam Spade Maltese Falcon where, you know, Sam Spade, everything's happening to him. People are coming to him, but no one's giving him any information. Mm-hmm. And he just manages to tough and bluster his way through until that last critical moment where he pieces everything together and he knows exactly what to say and how to play both sides against each other. And mm-hmm. he walks away clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, you know, the dude just kind of, bends and flexes and takes things in mm-hmm. and he's paying attention and and he gets that last bit of insight at the very end but it just happens to be something he just barely picks up from what mod says <laughs> right yeah and uh i i love how they play with noir conventions in this movie because in any noir or like philip marlowe detective sort of story those private eyes are always on the wrong side of the police like the police never like them there's almost always a situation in those movies and in those books where the police show themselves to be truly antagonistic. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, the detective character had maybe been respecting the the investigation of the police or going to the police for help. But there's like that moment where they realize, okay, the police aren't going to help me. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. go it alone. And it's sort of like the turning point in those books and those movies where the character is like, now I'm going to take control of this investigation. And I think it's so funny that the moment in the Big Lebowski that that happens where the the Malibu police chief is like, you know, like, stay out of my beach community. He's just quiet and he goes, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. (laughs) 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 And they just like twist that because... I think anybody else, any uh, not anybody else, but but people who were maybe not so sure in what they could do with the movie would fall on the convention then. And how often do you do that? Do you see that? A movie that's got this great kind of uh, subversive concept is good for the first half. And then the second half, they almost always fall into just following the beats of that movie. And The Big Lebowski is able to avoid that entirely. And keep it funny, keep it fresh throughout because they never fall back on tropes. And if they get near them, they're doing something with them that's just, you would never expect them mm-hmm. to have done. Those moments when they, they are like trying to consciously affirm the genre. I think the other one that stands out to me is what is confrontation with Delfino. Relax, man. I'm a brother Seamus. Brother Seamus? Like an Irish monk? What the fuck are you talking about? My name is Delfino. I'm a private snoop like you, man. What? A dick, man. Now, let me tell you something. I dig your work. Playing one side against the other in bed with everybody is fabulous stuff, man. I'm not... 
fuck it, man. Just stay away from my fucking lady friend. Hey, hey, I'm not. He's the only real private detective in this. There's some meta narrative stuff going on. Even a private eye thinks that he's a private eye, but like he's not a private eye. We expect this movie for him to be a private eye, and he never is. And the fact too that the, the dude doesn't have any time for it. You know, there's there's not any agreement. There's no nodding. There's just leave me alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're in my way right now. I, I, I do want to talk about, um, you know, if I've, ha- if I've talked to people who don't quite get the movie, it's usually something around what's the point or it's senseless. But it's funny to me that like the people who love the, mon- who love the movie, they don't quite care about any sense it could make. And it's not what matters, I guess, is yeah. the sense. But for someone who is trying to make sense of this movie, mm-hmm. um, do you think that there's enough there you know I, I, it depends what they mean by sense do they mean yeah. sense as far as plot right. like what was the point of what happened in that movie Eventually, or yeah. do they mean sense as in like was there any deeper meaning to that movie at all this you know? is where I feel like and the Coen brothers are among the few filmmakers who I think seeing more of their movies makes each movie make more mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. because how many times in a Coen brothers movie is there money and how many times is that not the point Fargo uh, no, country no country for old men. The money disappears mm-hmm. in the third act. That's all it's been about, and then it's not. And for a lot of people, it's like the plot doesn't make sense. And then you just have to say, well, the plot wasn't the money. That was not what they were talking about. They were talking about what do people do when these situations occur, and oftentimes money is an impetus for those situations. And so. The, each time they're they're saying something sort of different about people's motivations, mm-hmm. not necessarily say, saying something different about money. Um, or like No Country for Old Men, you're following Llewellyn for so much of the movie, but Llewellyn dies off camera. And it's at that moment where you as a viewer need to say, okay, Llewellyn wasn't the point. Who am I supposed to be paying attention to? Um, and so for The Big Lebowski, it's like Bunny is that... Thing, the mystery of where is Bunny? Where is Bunny? The answer is Bunny was nowhere. Bunny was on her own. And the myst- that mystery gets solved when she decides to come, come home. home. Yeah. And so where is Bunny and what, what happened with the ransom money? That's not really the point. I can't say exactly that I've figured out the point necessarily, but like the more I see the Coen Brothers movies, you get into that sense that like they've been showing you something you should have been paying attention to. And they've kind of been flashing something that the characters have gotten caught up in too. But now they're not just trying to tell you a story about a kidnapping. They're not just trying to tell you a story about stolen money. They're trying to tell you a story about something bigger. And I think that's happening in The Big Lebowski too. I think it's the idea of just letting life happen to to you, just being a tumbleweed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Nate, you and I both read an essay um, in a book called The Philosophy of the Coen Brothers written by... Two philosophers, I think, um, Matthew Douglas and Jerry Walls. Taking her easy taking her for, easy all, for us all us sinners. sinners yeah. yeah. And one of the things that they talked about that really kind of, I feel like, um, gives it an interesting focus on the movie is this idea of the tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, like, um, the dude uh, who is quite possibly the laziest man in Los Angeles County, it's, they say, like the tumbleweed, this man has long since taken the path of least resistance. And they talk about how, like, it's not hard to figure out how the tumbleweed ended up where it did. The wind blew it there. It's not hard to figure out how 
the dude ends up in the situation he ends up in. But it's also not important to ask why the tumbleweed ended up there or why the dude ended up there. Um, and is that a viable way to live? Is it a viable way to, right. to just let life move around you or let life move you? And because he is taking every situation sort of as it comes and everybody else is trying to figure out purposes for things, the, the, essay, the, the essay puts it, the dude constantly finds himself in awkward situations and like the tumbleweed, there does not appear to be any reason why he should be there, though it is easy to see how he got there. The dude is, after all, the wrong man for just about ev- any job, yet each character attempts to use him. And that that's when things go wrong, when people try to force this purpose on him. But I also think that the dude doesn't change, really. But I would say he ends up in a better place. He abides. By the end. Yeah. He does abide. But he also is maybe a little bit more purposeful in his purposelessness. Mm-hmm. Whereas before he was just drifting along. Now he's actively drifting along. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? That he's sort of seen what it looks like when he tries to force something that isn't there. And he he kind of just is re vitalized in his uh just enjoyment of the moment sort of i also think though i think there is another simple explanation for what they're doing with it that also works sure and that the movie is functioning as a shaggy dog story you know sure shaggy dog story which is another very cohen thing is a very cohen thing to do you know it's a it's a type of joke where you you very purposefully fill this joke out with a lot of superfluous detail that, you know, in most cases is not even interesting to listen to. You see how long you can get it. And then you end it with a non punchline, right? You know, it's kind of like the aristocrats. Yeah. Uh, the aristocrats thing, idea. would be one. Yeah. The big Lebowski just works as a shaggy dog story is we, we keep upping the ante and how much more absurd, yeah. how much more absurd can we make this? And, and then Bunny just wanders home. Getting, right. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, but that's, uh, to me, that still fits with the idea of the dude's purpose. Mm-hmm. People keep trying to find ways to make him useful to them. And he just isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> I mean, in the end, it seems like he solved it, but he didn't. He didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a shaggy dog story as a way of kind of, I don't know, tempering the the need to have meaning. It's right. not a nihilist movie. It's no. it's more Same. more vonnegut like. It's more yeah. ending the the not the whole movie on etc. instead of the end. Right. It's not saying everything is meaningless, but it is sort of saying not everything has a purpose or a meaning, mm-hmm. and that's that's fine. People who are fans of Coen Brothers movies understand that that's fine. I think people right. who don't like Coen Brothers movies have a real problem with that. And then what the way that I think that a lot of you know Coen Brothers filmography gets painted is bleak. Yes, it's a bleak point of view. And um, you know, we were talking a little bit about No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. and um, boy, you know, that one is one that I think often gets characterized as a bleak movie. But mm-hmm. we were talking about the more you watch it, how funny you find it actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, we were we were also when we were talking recently, just trying to figure out like these common themes that are kind of at the end of Coen Brothers movies and or that run through them. I don't know if it's weird to say or not. I think in some ways you could say if there's one Coen Brothers movie that could encapsulate a lot of what they do mm. or encapsulate what they do, it might actually be Big Big Lebowski. Yeah, 
What the stranger says at the end about the the whole darn human comedy keeps perpetuating itself. Yeah. That could almost be the capstone to almost every Coen Brothers yes. movie. Things seem to have worked out pretty good for the dude and Walter. And it was a pretty good story, don't you think? Made me laugh to beat the band. Parts, anyway. I didn't like seeing Donnie go. But then I happen to know that there's a little Lebowski on the way. I guess that's the way the whole darn human comedy keeps perpetuating itself. Down through the generations. Westward the wagons. Across the sands of time until we... Oh, look at me. I'm rambling again. But I think what you also see as a common theme, and it's in The Big Lebowski, is this idea of that perpetuating itself actually being perpetuating itself, like actual generations. There's a little Lebowski on the way. You know, you can go through their filmography. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, Marge is pregnant throughout all of Fargo. Mm -hmm. Um, Ed Tom Bell... Uh, his monologue at the end, which I think a lot of people who sit through all of No Country for Old Men and then that's what they get to, they don't know what to make of it. Right. You know? But that has to do with generations. Yeah. That's a father, father son, carrying, carrying the light. You know? And you've got, uh, I was talking about, I watched a serious man in preparation mm-hmm. for this. And I don't know how much we want to spoil, but you know, you basically get this to- This movie, a, the main character has had it, a lot of bad stuff happen right. to him. And then in the end, there's one worse thing coming. But it's not from his perspective. Right. It's from his son's perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And then even in O Brother Where Art Thou, Raising Arizona, there's always this idea of like yep. children and generations being passed mm-hmm. on. You know, mm-hmm. it's not hammered hard as in that's where the hope lies. Right. <laughs> but I think that's always just a constant in their movies. Yeah. That life goes on. Yep. You know, that it, yeah, weird, absurd things happen. They don't always make a lot of sense. Maybe they won't ever make any sense. Yep. Life just goes on. But it's also not idealistic. It's not saying things are going to change with no. this next generation. It's just that we'll, we'll, we'll survive. <laughs> right. And that things are bigger than you. That's the other yeah. thing I always yeah. get out of uh-huh. it. So, which brings me to what we were getting at at the beginning of this episode, the end of last episode. We talked about a lot of deep philosophy, like a lot of meaning, this movie is most popular with college boys. Mm-hmm. And men generally. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that came up in the Washington Post article. The, uh, there were some women uh, film critics who said, I just think this is a guy's movie. <laughs> and that might be true. I think it, it probably is true. But what do you do with a movie that works on a stoner comedy level? And could also be saying all this stuff that's maybe antithetical to the stoner comedy (laughs) genre. So when people, we were talking about this at the end of the last episode, when people say The Big Lebowski is their favorite movie, present company excluded, you don't know what that means. You have Mm -hmm. no idea. Do you love sitting around and getting baked and watching this movie? Or do you love what the Coen brothers are saying about the human condition? (laughs) (laughs) I, not that those are mutual exclusive. You can't, have, yeah, yeah. you can't love, you know, just the surface comedy of it and that. But the the popularity of it tells me most people are not thinking about it in any sort of deep sort of way, and that there's a lot of because you don't. And it's it's yeah. am I feeling worst pearls before swine? Like you know, I I, I think that there's part of me wants to just show a little charity for the simple fact that it's nowhere near so toxic. 
is people yeah. who like Kubrick for the wrong le- reason, the especially Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange or Full Metal Jacket. Right. Mm-hmm. Like people who, who quote that without getting the underlying, that's terrifying. Yes. And, and this is by comparison, harmless. You're right. But I don't know, maybe if I was to make a defense of it, it would be along the lines of, you know, Michael Shaban writes in his essay, Trickster in a Suit of Lights, mm-hmm. that basically it's the essays in defense of short fiction following genre, genres, yes. genre conventions, and saying, you know, it's a shame that all of our short stories can't be genre stories anymore because they're not literally valid. And he, he's, he states at one point, I think that if we were to arbitrarily pick any subgenre that is not taken seriously and said that all literary fiction had to be that, you know, say the nurse romance, yeah. that there would be some really good fiction that would come out within those constraints. Now, I, 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 all this is a circuitous way to say, I think on one level they did make a stoner comedy. Sure. And I think they just made a great they, one. They made a great one. And, and maybe it's okay just to like it on, just that, to level. Like it on that level. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, Better not to, but that's my opinion, man. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's well put. But if we get back to kind of what we were saying at the end of our last episode and what the phenomenon of the Big Lebowski has become, it is something that does seem to be exclusive or mostly exclusive to men. And I guess I would just wonder, like, why? I mean, is it just the fact that it's, mostly men in the movie aside from like Maud and Maud herself is kind of like a, she's not a caricature, but I mean, if you were watching the movie on a surface level, um, you could see that as just kind of like poking fun at feminism. Yeah. I don't even know what we're getting at here. Well, I feel like uh, anytime white men rally around something, you get a little, we should probably (laughs) ask why probably ask some questions about it. And I'm absolutely a white man. Let me just say that. But I'm I, I feel like I in in recent years I've begun sort of interrogating what that means. Mm-hmm. And so I am at least a self-aware white man. And so when I see masses of white men rallying around something, and I too was drawn to that, it makes me question why are they rallying around it? Why am I drawn to it? Is there something that connects those two thoughts? And in in my like way that I kind of have learned to reflect on what I like and being able to sort of sort out dangerous ideas that shouldn't be allowed to just pass through, um, am I missing something? Mm-hmm. Because so often white men rally around something that has dangerous ideas that they're allowing to pass mm-hmm. through or that they're encouraging that uh, shouldn't be that way. There, There is a... A degree, though, to which it is a celebration of white male friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so as far as things that sure. white men could be attracted to, Again, that's one it's of more or less harmless, right? Uh, yeah, it's not 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 just harmless, but I mean, I don't know. There's something Positive. to seeing mm-hmm. the dude and Walter hug each other at the end, mm-hmm. even though it's out of their character. Yeah, I, I think there is something even genuinely sure. moving to that. And you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not like other people can't be in drawn into it but yeah uh i think it's 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 about white male culture mm-hmm. the camaraderie i i think it's just focused on that group sure people can be invited into the movie and i, I mean i think 
possibly some invitation is lacking, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's also just possible for certain demographics not to be interested in a movie. Well, yeah. and, and as an interesting idea to play with, we already talked about this movie being so much about homage and about different genres. Is the movie itself evidence of how white male centric all of our the film culture is? Sure. Mm-hmm. Go through all those genres we just yep. talked about. Yep. Well, that's why it's all white male. Right. Because look at, I mean, it's Western, it's noir. Cultural it's, nostalgia is mm-hmm. going to be white male centric. When they do show. Culture has been white male centric. Exactly. For, yeah. And when they do show females, it's in the Berkeley sequence yeah. and they're just dancers. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that you could almost write an essay itself on sure. the fact that they're homaging these things and showing this version of. Mm-hmm caricaturized, romanticized Americana, it is, by its nature, going yeah. to be white male. You know, what do you do with that? You, you watch it and you, you appreciate it for what it is mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you, you kind of take that as an understanding of it, I sure. guess. Um, are the Coen brothers biased towards white males? I think they're just biased towards film history. They love yeah. film history and I think they're kind of maybe a little blind to the history of that, you know? Because yeah. even if you watch something like Hail Caesar, which was totally just... You know, oh, yeah. them having fun with all the different periods and different times of like the golden age of Hollywood. They don't stray too much from the formula. Well, and it's, I mean, it's one of those things that's unfortunate that you can look at any number of films that exclude a female perspective and say, well, on its own, it's not a problem that that film, that one film doesn't, but the aggregate whole right. of films that exclude female perspectives and perspectives of people of color. That's problematic. It it would be nice to see the Coen brothers try to break that mold. Yeah, but it, you know, it's it's not what they've done before. It would be a stretch. It would be a change for them. All right. Well, we we went, I think, kind of highbrow and lowbrow in our conversation with uh, Big Lebowski. Uh, where does it, yeah, where, where does that kind of leave us though? I mean, do you feel like our conversation made you gain appreciation? Maybe question your appreciation? Uh, it didn't make me question it. I don't think <laughs> that sounds so <laughs> so affirmative. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I mean, it it made me question the general appreciation for it, but I don't think it made me necessarily. I mean, it did. Like I said, I I have reflected on it, but I don't think I've I, I didn't identify anything this time that I feel like I should be wary of. Mm-hmm. It would it would have been very surprising if we ended this one not best buds. No, yeah, I'd, I feel like we're best buds here. Right. Around, yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do need verbal confirmation. Our, lo- Every, our lawyers have said, yes. yeah. Our lawyers have said that before it can go in the books, we mm-hmm. do need everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because we log it. Review the minutes. Not you, you cut that out, but you we, do we re- always do. Well, review yeah. At the, the beginning minutes. of this, we review the minutes, but it's it's boring for our listeners. Mm-hmm. And then we enter them um, in the county record. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're required to meet FOIA requests, but we, we're, we're prepared to. Right. Don't do it. Don't request a FOIA. It's just a pain in the butt for us to deal with that. It is. It's, um, a, it's a real nightmare. But just know we're ready. But um, uh, it's re- it was really great to have you here. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Tim, I, again. I Always was, a pleasure. We were, we were a little worried about how we would talk about this. And then once we decided yeah. to ask you and you said you could do it, I think we both were a little re- At ease. quite relieved. Yeah. Yeah. I was really thrilled to come back. And yeah. I love this movie and I loved having this discussion. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's switch over to talking about what we're going to discuss in the next episode. Well, spring is technically here. Today we got up to, I think Jeez, it's like 57. In the 50s. 57 and sunny and... I just feel like now, though, I'm, I'm always filled with dread. Like at any moment, right. snow is going to come down. Oh, 50? Yeah, tomorrow, to- I bet, right. is going to be... Or old. even in the next half hour. Right. 
And so in the spirit of maybe fostering that summertime carefree feeling, summertime youthful exuberance, yeah. a season that we can't hardly wait for. Oh, hey. I think you just spoiled it. Oh, that I might have. Spoiler alert. You didn't say spoiler. Wow. Okay. You might. The cat's out of the bag now. So we're going to do the movie Can't Hardly Wait, yeah. celebrating its 15th year. I don't, we haven't done like just a fun teen, teen comedy. No. And I feel like it's appropriate to do it the year that the movie itself will get its learner's permit. Mm, yeah. This uh, movie's going to be on the road. Watch out. Yeah, careful. I've never seen it. I, you know, And this I, is a movie I feel like I've heard you talk about frequently. Really? If I have, I haven't noticed, but I could, it could just be in me, in my DNA. This is a movie that you know, was geared to me. You're, I think I was yeah, a sophomore generation. junior. Wait a minute. 98. I graduated in It 01. came out 20 years ago? I thought we said 15. We got to fact 98. check this. All right, good. That makes me feel better. 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago. Jeez. That's crazy. Ugh, that's gross. I guess it's, uh, it's maybe appropriate that we're feeling old and in the throes of an existential crisis because one thing that might be interesting about this movie is all the young, hot stars mm-hmm. of tomorrow... That never quite that reached tomorrow. Then now it's tomorrow. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> Seth Green and Jennifer Love Hewitt probably had the best runs. Uh-huh. But you've got Ethan Embry. You've got mm-hmm. Peter Fascinelli. Fascinelli. He plays Mike Dexter. He's a, He's been around. He's still nothing, around. That means nothing to me. I know, but that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It means nothing to you because you've never seen this right. movie, but he is still well, around. Well, you said he's in Twilight. Isn't that maybe a little sad that he's just still in teen movies, but he's probably like right. the, but he's like the, the dad now? He's like the leader. Like He's like the leader uh-huh. of the vampires, I think. I, don't quote me on that because I just passingly you saw Twilight. You seem to Twilight. know a lot about the Twilight <laughs> movies, Nate. Listeners will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's like the the leader or like the dad vampire. <laughs> Is there a dad vampire? Hey, listeners, chime in. I have no idea. I didn't even know there were vampires other than the one that she loves. Okay, all right. I knew there were vampires. Yeah, okay. I knew there were vampires. I didn't know there were multiple vampires. Yeah, there's like a family of them, I think. I don't know if they're family or they just hang out like a gang. Is a vampire gang? Clan? Brood? That sounds more Probably a brood. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch this... I, I, working among teenagers right. to see whether this movie is uh, a timeless depiction of teenagers or a very timely depiction of teenagers. <laughs> I think it might... My hunch, my hypothesis before this episode uh, is that it's the latter. That it, it may not hold up very well. Okay. But very close to me as this was my high school movie. You know what? If I wanted... I you could, could just assign show it. it to my kids. You could assign it. We could, there could be some research for the podcast. We'll talk to the science department because they could set it up as an experiment. That's true. Maybe not so much for English, but science, hey. For English, I could I could um, make it a grammar study. Of like the, the language. Title. The oh, title. Can't hardly, yeah, there's a contraction in there. Yeah, but I just feel like can't hardly wait isn't correct grammar. Well, but for the late 90s, it certainly was. <laughs> oh, yeah. You that, forget how we spoke. chaotic time. You forget how we spaked back then. That's true. Oof, that takes me bake. You know how we said back like yeah. bake? I, I remember. I remember. <laughs> you remember that? We used to say remember. Oh my gosh, that's right. That's right. That's totally, root. We didn't even say right. We I said tr- root. I totally that's forgot root. it. Yeah. Oh, man. That's right. This conversation s- certainly is all that. 
It was such weird slang. The, the, the pants were baggy and the, the vowels were mispronounced. Mm-hmm. And today's teens probably wouldn't get. So throw on your uh, late yeah, 90s some, playlist. Eve come 6, back for lit, some lit talk. Smash Mouth, Matchbox 20 maybe. Oh boy. I know, it's not going to be all pretty. Maybe some sneaker pimps, throw some of that in there. Wow. You know, like you can make it good. It doesn't all have to be bad. So anyways, take this travel back in time. We do nostalgia quite a bit on this podcast, yeah. but I don't know that this is going to be not quite always. a nostalgia trip necessarily. I mean, it yeah. might be. It won't be for the movie for me, but it might be the time period, yeah. I recall. You'll some see some clothing. and mm-hmm, Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping for some, uh, some goggles. Uh, I think you won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Some goggles as regular eyewear. You will, uh, well, yeah, you won't be disappointed in that, I believe. Okay. I mean, like somebody wearing snowboarding goggles, and they're not snowboarding or something along those lines. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. Okay. You don't got to explain it to me. Open for that. Yeah. Well, get excited. Yeah. So let us know. We got Facebook. We got Twitter. Mm-hmm. Got email feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Got our website. Can we still be friends.net? Got a phone number. Got a phone number. That's not can we still be friends.net. No, it's not. That's a number. And uh, that number, if you want to give us a call, is 847 306 9532. Yeah. Or if you're frustrated with the time constraints of the voicemail box, you could record a message and email it to us. Yeah. It'd be great to get your voice into our podcast. If you're thinking about launching your own podcast, but you're not quite there yet, it's a good Just way to get your get your feet wet. See how you sound on the mic, yep. on your smartphone's mic, and uh, send it our way. Yep. We'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts on the Big Lebowski, the Cullen Brothers, on uh, Can't Hardly yeah, Wait, anything else in our archives that you feel like going back and digging through. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you so much for uh, next listening in. Yeah. I can't hardly wait for our next episode. I get it. Oh, what, what? Oh, oh, that's the name oh, of the movie. Yeah, okay. Oh, I didn't get. I I didn't even realize I said it. I could see on your face that you had no idea what I you had were doing. No clue. I was clueless. Not the movie we were doing. Oh, sh- yeah. Right. Anyway, we seem to have come to a Miller's Crossing, <laughs> and it's time to call it quits. All right. <laughs> see ya. Bye. <laughs>